Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. That's perfect. That's just the way to start this off. That was a perfect song for us to start. But my name is Bill Lyle, and I practice obstetrics and gynecology. I have the opportunity to be here speaking to you, and I don't take this lightly. Um, When a pastor gives up his pulpit to somebody else, that's something really special. And whoever the guest is should appreciate and realize how special that is. Sometimes I'll explain that as like, This is his classic car that he has restored from being a kid. And pastors don't like to give up their pulpit because it's something special. Just like they just don't turn over their keys to their new car that they have restored. It's something special. So, Jeff, I appreciate that greatly. It means a lot to me. Um, My wife and oldest daughter are here with me today. I travel all over the country, and I seldom get to see a familiar face. So I've got my wife and my oldest daughter. Sydney is a uh, third year over at the University of Florida, and my other daughter, Emily, is down at the University of South Florida. But thank you for the praise and worship time. Praise team, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that. Um, And it was very worshipful, and it's a privilege to be here. Let's see... How are we doing, Tommy? Oh, Tommy's left. Tommy has left the building. Tommy's back. There we go. There's my family. You don't have to look at their slides. You can just sort of see. But that's Emmy. Emmy is down at the University of South Florida. All right. This is my typical day. This is me delivering a baby, and I'll deliver about 25, maybe 30 babies a month. The unique thing about this is, this is the baby's dad. I said, he's in the Marines. I said, you need to put on some gloves. He goes, I don't think so. And I said, that wasn't a request. That was an order. So we put on, I said, you're like a seven and a half. So we put on some gloves, and that's cool when a dad gets to do a delivery. But you know what the really impressive thing is? Who took that picture? Mom multitasking, pushing a baby out, delivering the baby, and also capturing that picture. You know, who doesn't get credit for that picture? Mom, you know, but that's my typical day. But this is a picture that's, that changed my life. When I took over my practice 20 years ago this summer, uh, you know, I'd spent four years in college, four years in medical school, four years in residency, a year in internship, it's time to get a job. So the practice I took over was at that time the largest provider of abortion services here in the Tri-County area. So we took over the practice and our plan was to stop all abortions and all abortion referrals on day one. We had the previous physician sign a restrictive covenant where he couldn't practice any medicine for the next 24 months. He retired and he moved back to Sweden. And I thought that was where My job was done. But God has his own plan. And you've always got to be listening to that plan that God has. Opportunities for you to have kingdom service, being involved in your church or other community activities, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's child care, getting involved in lots of the ministries that you have. But I went over to the practice. Nope. Went over to the practice one afternoon. And uh, it was right after church. And when I went over there after church, I had never been upstairs. 
and you can see these stairs here. And the stairs that I went up were where the surgical suite was. That's where they did all the abortions. And I couldn't help but think how many thousands of moms over the years with a baby on the inside, heartbeat kicking, moving, went up that set of stairs, spent an hour up there, went down another set of stairs, and that little life that was seen on the ultrasound wasn't there anymore. And I walked up those stairs, I made the turn around the corner, and I could see the surgical suite, I could see the, uh, the gurney all set up, I saw the equipment, the suction machine. We actually brought some of that equipment with us today, and if you want to see how is this actually done, we can actually show you the equipment that was in this office, and we'll run through that. But I got to the top of the stairs, and that changed my life. You know, I realized that there is a message here that needs to be shared as far as what goes on in our community and also there's a message of forgiveness that's available you know every group that I talk to I don't care where it is in the country there are men and women who the issue of abortion touches their lives and is abortion a sin yes have I sinned yes have my sins even just one been enough to keep me out of the kingdom of God without the blood of Jesus absolutely Abortion is a sin, but is it a sin that can be covered by the blood of Jesus? Yeah, it absolutely is. And we need to know that if somebody is going to have healing after an abortion or being involved with an abortion, you don't have healing until you get forgiveness. And true forgiveness only comes through the blood of Jesus. So that's when we started this ministry, ProLifeDoc.org, and it's grown. I've worked with Heartbeat International. I speak at their annual events. And also with CareNet, these are both national pro-life groups that represent and provide training for all the pregnancy centers. Even a Baptist guy gets on the cover of Catholic Compass magazine, you know? <laughs> so, and then I was out in Colorado Springs a couple times now, working with Dr. James Dobson. We did a couple of radio shows that were aired back in February, um, specifically about the abortion issue. But look at this. I got a letter from Planned Parenthood. This came to my office. And I'm like, why did I get a letter from Planned Parenthood? And a uh, little nervous opening it. I remember the scene from uh, NCIS when Tony Donoso opened the envelope and he blew it and the white plague you know, all went on him. So I'm a little nervous. I put on some gloves. And then I read it. And it says, Dear Dr. Lyle, Planned Parenthood Federation of America is pleased to let you know that a generous and thoughtful contribution has been made in your honor by. And it gave me the person's name and their address and all that stuff. Well... I know this person, and they did this in a spiteful way. They probably didn't realize that the national chairperson of the board of directors of Planned Parenthood was going to write me a, a note thanking me for that, or that they would include her personal information, like her first name, last name, and address. But she was trying to spite me and trying to get me on the Planned Parenthood donation rolls as being a donor and a supporter of Planned Parenthood. I'm like, really? You know? But uh, so that's what we deal with. Opioids. It's not just a problem in the inner city. It is a problem in the rural areas. It is a problem in our small towns. It's a problem in Gulf Breeze. It's a problem in Pensacola. It's a problem in Milton and Pace. We all know people who are being affected by narcotics and opioids. Deaths. 2017, 72,000 people died of a narcotic overdose just here in the United States. 72,000. That's why it's in the news. That's why we're changing the legislation. That's why before I write any prescription for a narcotic, I've got to do a background check on every single person, name, first name, last name, and date of birth, and see what they have been prescribed. 72,000 deaths. How long does it take us to have 72,000 deaths from abortion? January 28th. 
We didn't even get through the month of January before we'd already racked up 72,000 loss of lives from the baby's own with an abortion. But, you know, we can reverse narcotics if we catch them soon enough with a medication called Nar- Narcan. Narcan is an amazing medication. Somebody might not be conscious. You can't even, you know, awaken them. You can't stimulate them. They are out, might not even be breathing. You give them a shot of Narcan, it is like a switch. They will finish the sentence that they were ending when they last left off. They just wake up like there is nothing. And then, and then I was going in. Then I went over. It's amazing. So we have a, narc, a, a reversal agent for narcotic overdoses called Narcan. When it comes to abortions, and how many abortions here in the state of Florida? About 76,000 a year. How many just in our area? About almost 2,000 a year. We have a little over 4,000 babies born, but we have almost 2,000 abortions in our area. But 20% of all the abortions in the United States are now being done with chemicals, not with a surgery. Well, they're being done with two different chemicals. One is called RU-46, which is actually a chemotherapy, and one is called uh, RU-46 is, is uh, an anti-progesterone. Methotrexate is the chemotherapy. What's RU-46? There is an amazing hormone. There are lots of changes that take place when a woman is pregnant. There's lots of stuff that has to change. Well, RU-46 blocks the hormone called progesterone. Progesterone is the, is the signal from the pregnancy that says, Yay, we're pregnant! Hallelujah, we're pregnant! We're going to have a baby! This hormone makes all these changes, and it's progesterone. Progestation. Progestation. It says, come on, keep the pregnancy going. RU-46 blocks that signal, that message from the pregnancy that says, we're pregnant, hallelujah. So a woman will be pregnant. She's like, okay, we're pregnant. We're seven weeks. And then she's given the medication, RU-46, and then the body goes, I thought we were pregnant. I could have sworn we were pregnant. Well, if we're not pregnant, then let's just withdraw the support for the pregnancy. Methotrexate is a chemotherapy and actually stops all the cellular division and the development of the baby. So about 20% of all the abortions are done this way. Well, with somebody who's been given this medication, you know, we can actually reverse it. Just like a narcotic, we can reverse that with Narcan. We can reverse this medication. Next slide. There's a group called uh, Abortion Pill Reversal. It was founded by a guy named George Delgado. I'm on the board with this group. And there's an 800 number. They have volunteers and they have physicians all across the country that will be able to take phone calls. In fact, about a year ago, I took a phone call. The girl had gone to Planned Parenthood in Mobile. She told me what she had taken. She and her fiancé said, we don't want this. And so what did we do? We started the reversal medication. But I want to tell you the story about how many people were involved in this. She calls the 800 number that was started by a guy named George Delgado. She talks to a volunteer nurse in California. The volunteer nurse then calls me. I then am getting ready to sing in my church that Sunday morning. I get the phone call, talk to the girl. I have to find a pharmacy. I call over to Mobile, Alabama, find a pharmacy that carries this medication called Leucovorin. Talk to the pharmacist and say, I need to call in a prescription for Leucovorin. I need this dose that hap- this many times and this many pills. And she said, are you trying to reverse an abortion? And I paused and I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And she goes, oh, sweetie, she goes, I'll take care of this. I said, okay, that's great. And she said, we have it in stock and we can give her that. She said, uh, and I said, well, I've got it. Let me give you my credit card number because I want this young lady not to have any expenses or bills. She goes, oh, I got that too. So that I called the patient later that night who had gone over to the pharmacy and she says, Dr. Lau, that was one weird pharmacy. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, I told that girl my name. She came around that little privacy counter. She came, she gave me a big hug. She said she'd be praying for me. She'd be taking care of me. And then she paid for the medication out of her own pocket. 
Saw her in the office a week later, saw her in the office two weeks later, both visits. We had a heartbeat. I delivered that baby about six months ago. Baby's perfect. I was over here at your church on Wednesday. We were talking about prepping for today. And I had gotten a call the night before from abortion pill reversal. And I read him the text without the patient's name. I said, we started her on the reversal medication. I said, but, you know, as far along as she is with the medicine she was given, there's a 98% chance that when I see her on Friday, that there's not going to be a heartbeat on this baby because all the support hormone, the one that says, keep this pregnancy going, has been blocked. So we gave her the reversal medication. I saw her just Friday. We had a heartbeat. We'll see her again um, the week coming up. But uh, sometimes we can be successful when it comes to reversals. A lot of people don't know that, that, you know, you can call an 800 number and here's somebody with a 98% chance of losing their baby. That's the third reversal I've been successful with. It's not just progesterone, it's prayer. Because, you know, your pastors have been praying for this young lady. I have a group that prays for these, these folks when we're trying to do that. That's the power of God. When something has a 98% chance of, of causing an abortion, we can actually reverse with medicine. That's that baby that I delivered just a few months ago, you know. And what did she name that baby for all that she went through? The baby's name is Journey. I think that's a great name for that kid. But uh, truth, that's our subject today. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Forty-five years, how many abortions had affected the United States? Sixty million babies. That is, the population of California is 40 million. The population of Florida is 20 million. We have eliminated every man, woman, child in the state of California and here in the state of Florida. And it's like when we look at Social Security, when Social Security was started, there were 35 people putting into Social Security for every person who was receiving benefits. Now there are two people working for everybody who is on Social Security. And they look at it and they go, it's almost like we've lost 100 million people. Well, yeah, we lost 60 million to abortion since 1973, and they would have had kids. That's the loss of the people that would have affected this. So as a patient, a person, my wife had to have knee surgery a few months ago. She went back to the OR. She got general anesthesia. She was asleep. They made incisions in her knee, and they did surgery. She couldn't feel any pain. She couldn't respond to anything. Was she still a person? Yeah, she was still a person. So is a patient always a person? Yeah, a patient is always a person. ACOG, this is my governing body, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And they say, when it comes to a surgery, you sign a consent form. But a consent form is not just a form. It is a process where the risks, benefits, indications, and alternatives of a procedure are discussed. My governing body says when you're getting informed consent, it's all about respect for the patient as a person. It particularly respects a patient's right to bodily integrity. You know, we're treating patients as persons right now in the womb. You've probably seen some of the amazing pictures and I'll show you some of those, but we treat the preborn as patients. You know, when do you become a person? You know, you were all created in the image of God. Well, when were you created in the image of God? Was that the day you came out from your mom and all of a sudden you've been there for nine months and it's like, woohoo, I'm now created in the image of God. No. Was it when the ultrasound tech did an ultrasound that all of a sudden something magic in that ultrasound probe that showed you in the inside? Is that when you became created in the image of God? No. From that moment of conception, you were created in the image of God. All the DNA that you have there at that moment of conception is the same as the DNA that you have now. It's what makes you unique from the other seven billion people on the planet. 
we can actually look at that DNA of a baby in the womb seven weeks after conception. We can do a blood test on the mom, and there's little fragments of baby DNA that are in mom's blood. Now, 95% of the fragments of DNA belong to the mom. 5% of these fragments belong to the baby. It would be like if you had a sugar bowl, and then I gave a shake of salt into it, shook it up, and I gave it to you and said, can you do me a favor and get all the salt out of that sugar bowl? It's like, yeah, right. That's what we can do. We can take the fragments of DNA. We can take the 95% that belong to the mom, put them over here. We can take the 5% that belong to the baby, put them here, and we can study these fragments. Before I can even tell you with the best ultrasound or even with the best fetoscope, whether this is a boy or girl, I can tell you genetically if this is a boy or girl, seven weeks after conception. So it's a different person. So when a mom says, it's my body, I'll do with it what I want to, your body is the amazing life support system, but it's not your body. This is a whole other person. In fact, here's the baby. There's the little fragments of DNA, and those are the fragments that we can separate out from the mom's fragments. But two, weeks, two hours after even an abortion or two hours after delivery of the baby, you can't find these fragments of DNA in the mom's blood because that other person is no longer there. That person has left the building. So again, it's not your body. Your body is the life support system, but this is a new person there on the inside. 23andMe, Ancestry.com. Anybody done it? Yeah, it's cool. You go back hundreds and hundreds of years and lots of generations. See who your great, 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 great granddad was. That DNA that when you give that little sample, you, put, you, know, you kind of drooled in that little tiny tube for a little bit, and then you seal it up and you send it off. The DNA that you had analyzed is the exact same DNA that formed when one cell from your mom and one cell from your dad got together at that moment of conception. And so they studied the same DNA as, you're what, 50? There you go. You know, happy birthday to you. So when they, you know, 53 plus nine months ago, you're actually 53 in nine months. I hate to tell you that, you know. You were born 53 years ago, but we got to tack another nine months. 54 is only three months away, you know, so have another party, you know. But you know what? We don't just do diagnostics on the babies on the inside. We treat them as patients on the inside. You know, pubs. Pubs is not a place where you get fish and chips in, over in London. Pubs is a peri-umbilical blood sampling. We do this at Sacred Heart Hospital, where we can actually look on the mom's blood, and we can see if she has antibodies. And these antibodies, they go across the placenta, and they start to attack the baby's blood. And the baby's blood count starts to go down. Well, if we don't do something, these babies can actually die on the inside because of a low blood count. Just like if you were hemorrhaging and they took you to the emergency room and you had lost almost all of your blood, what are they going to do? They're going to give you blood. Somebody else had gone over to One Blood on Ninth Avenue and they'd given a blood transfusion or the big red bus came by your church or your, or your school or your work and somebody gave blood. We can get the babies a blood transfusion while they're on the inside. We have done that at 19 weeks gestation. Baby can't even survive for another month on the outside, yet we've given babies a blood transfusion. We guide a, a long, thin needle right through the skin, right through the fluid around the, around the baby, go right up to the umbilical cord, and we give the baby a blood transfusion. Sometimes we have to do that every three or four weeks, otherwise that baby will die. If you're giving blood to a baby on the inside, is that baby a patient? Yeah, of course it's a patient. But do you know that there are centers around the country where we're actually doing heart surgery on the babies on the inside? 
Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Boston, and Houston are really pioneering this, where they are guiding instruments through the skin, through the wall of the uterus, through the fluid. They go up to the chest of the baby. And don't forget, the baby's heart is only about the size of a grape. They can guide a catheter right in through the chest wall, right into the heart, and they can open up a blocked heart valve, and they can go into the aortic valve, open it up, and within 60 seconds, you'll see improvements in the baby's circulation. We're doing valvuloplasty, we're doing septoplasty, and we're actually even doing spinal surgery on the babies at 22 weeks gestation. So if we're doing that, is that a patient on the inside? Yeah, it's a patient. It's having heart surgery. It's having spine surgery. We're giving them blood transfusions. In fact, at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, at 13 weeks on an ultrasound, they feel comfortable if they're going to need to do heart surgery on these babies at 22 weeks or not. This is right at the point where the babies can maybe start to survive on the outside. And we're doing heart surgery and say, hey, come on back in a couple months and we'll have a baby. It's pretty amazing. Twin-twin transfusion syndrome. Anybody here have twins? Anybody a twin? Twins are amazing. You know, everybody gets all excited when the obstetrician has twice as much things to follow. You know, there's lots of stuff that can go wrong and things that we need to make sure we're covering. Sometimes twins have their own placentas, their own sex. Sometimes the kids will share a placenta. Well, when they share a placenta, sometimes they don't share nice. Sometimes, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes siblings don't share well. You know, like, what's the... You know, no is the first word a kid learns, and then I think mine is the second word that a kid would. Mine, 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 mine. No, no, no. Mine, mine. No, no, mine. No, mine. You know, that's just kids. Well, sometimes when they're sharing a placenta, they don't share nicely there either. So what happens is, is you have the big kid who's taking way too much of the calories, and then this little runty kid who's the identical twin. They're sharing the placenta, but sometimes this baby will die, and if this baby dies, that baby dies. So what do we do? Well, we can go in with a fetoscope, and we can actually look at the blood vessels. Click it again. And we can go in like Luke Skywalker, and we can go in with a laser. It's not working, but I'm going to tell you what we do. We go in with the laser, and we actually divide the placenta right down the middle. And we say, this is your side of the placenta. This is your side of the placenta. You two play nice, we'll come back in 18 weeks and then we'll deliver you two. And then we're going to do the tape down the middle of the room thing because you're going to learn to play nice. This is your side, this is your side. So we divide the placenta just like Luke Skywalker with his lightsaber. Next slide. All right, we're a little bit locked up. It, these things happen. You know, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And once you go wireless and go a little electronic, he kind of takes advantage of that. And things happen. But we do other kinds of surgeries, too. We're doing the heart surgery. We're doing the valve surgery. We're doing the spinal surgery. We're dividing the placenta. It's amazing how we treat the preborn as patients. So if we're treating the preborn as patients, you want to just go, no, uh, we're good? No worries. So we treat them as patients on the inside, and if they're patients, they are persons, and if they're persons, then they deserve our protection. You know, we do a lot of different things at Sacred Heart. We are putting in tens of millions of dollars in a brand new NICU. So we're putting in this NICU, and why are we doing that? To provide care for the patients. You know, when I came to Sacred Heart, 25 weeks was when we said, okay, these kids can start to survive at 25 weeks. Within a couple of years, we changed that to 24 weeks. Then a few years ago, we changed that to 23 weeks. We're like, okay, your kid might be able to survive. 
we're getting ready to change that again. We're just developing our policies now where we're going to change that to 22 weeks because the baby over in Mobile was delivered at 22 weeks and that kid went home. 22 weeks gestation is when we're going to be resuscitating these kids. 22 weeks gestation is also the cutoff for having an elective abortion here in the state of Florida. So literally, a mom can be 22 weeks pregnant and say, okay, um, my baby just got delivered and we're going to send that baby to the NICU. Or a mom can say, well, I'm 22 weeks. I think I don't want this baby anymore. I can go over to uh, Orlando and I can terminate this pregnancy. I can have an abortion at that same gestational age. Delayed interval delivery. This is a great example when you're trying to talk to somebody and you want to, because that's our job is to educate. Jeff educates you about scriptural principles. How, you know, all the questions that you're going to run into in your life, whether it's your finance, your management of your marriage, or whether it's with your kids, all the answers are in the Bible. Jeff's job is to teach you where those answers are and live those answers, and all the answers are right there in scripture. So our job here is to teach you and give you examples so that you can defend the preborn. And guys, this isn't a lady thing. You're men. You are protectors. You are defenders. William means the bold protector. I don't know how you know, my parents kind of you know, had an insight on that, but that's what William means. So when it comes to the preborn, we have to give you examples. And this is one. Delayed interval delivery. This happens every couple of years at Sacred Heart. Mom is pregnant. She's got twins. And we had one just recently where she was here um, visiting, and when she was 25 weeks, I went into preterm labor. She came to the hospital, and before we can do anything, bam, there's a baby. She delivered the first baby, and that baby went to the NICU at 25 weeks gestation. The second bag of water was still intact in the mom's belly. That baby was doing well. Our high-risk doctors went up to her and said, hey, look, you had twins. You still have twins, except one's now down in the NICU. The other one is still here in your belly, and the one here in the belly is doing better because that NICU is pretty cool, but this one was designed by God, and it's better, and this baby is doing well here on the inside. We don't just get hours. We don't just get days. We sometimes get weeks. There was a case up in Tennessee, six and a half weeks after the first baby delivered, they delivered the second baby. A baby A, born in June, baby B, born in August, identical twins, which are going to be in different school years because they were born six <laughs> weeks apart. You know? So you're identical twins? What, you're not real bright? No, I was, I was, I was born late, you know. How, how late? Well, I was born in June. He was born in August. Pretty amazing. But here's the amazing thing. The twin down in the NICU has all the rights that you or I would have if we were in the cardiac care unit. Meanwhile, the identical twin conceived at the same moment in time from the same egg and sperm coming together. This identical twin doesn't have any of those rights. In fact, at any gestational age, this twin could go to New York, could go to Virginia, New Hampshire, and up until the due date, this twin could be terminated. How does your geographic location in the womb, in the NICU, either give you rights or deny you your rights? It doesn't make any sense. They both are persons, they both are patients, they both are people, and they both deserve our protection. We're doing lots of surgeries. Next slide, you can probably see, have seen this, this surgery. Samuel Armas, actually I was speaking up in uh, Atlanta and this kid came up to me and uh, you know he's about 16 years old now and I asked him, I said, when you had that surgery done on your spine in the womb, he said, I said, were you a person? And he goes, duh, you know, but, uh, but that's what they're doing. I'm going to just show you briefly, okay, this is actually doing this with a uh, fetoscope. Let's see if this, so you see the uterus is out. And these doctors, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go. These doctors are actually doing surgery on the baby, but you don't want to have fluid. There's no fluid around this baby. This baby is only 22 weeks along. 
and they've taken the fluid out so they can do electrical surgery, but there's the umbilical cord. Is that a person inside there? Yeah, I mean, we look at ultrasounds and we go, wow, that's pretty cool. We look at, I'm going to show you some other imaging like MRI and, uh, you know, fetoscopy, but, oh, and that's actually doing spinal surgery on that same kid. We don't need to show that. We can go on with that if it will go on. If not, you'll get to watch it, you know. So it comes down to we're treating the preborn as patients. So when we talk about I'm pro-choice, you hear all those people jumping up and down. Is this a choice? Now, a choice is do you want chicken or do you want fish? Do you want coffee? Do you want tea? Do you want chocolate or vanilla? Those are choices. This is not just a choice. This is a spiritual battle. You know? And so when you have a spiritual battle, you've got to go into a spiritual battle with your spiritual weapons and your spiritual tools. And your Bible is your only offensive weapon that you can take into this battle. So we're going to talk about some scriptures. Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That was so, so perfect this morning. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. God has a relationship with us, knew who we were from that moment of conception there. The miracle as far as you know, being created in the image of God, that miracle isn't when we're born. It was, isn't when we get an ultrasound. It was from that moment of conception. Psalm 139, you formed my inmost being, you knit me in my mother's womb, I praise you so wonderfully you made me. Even the psalmist thousands of years ago recognized, God, you made me here on the inside of my mother's womb. It's pretty amazing. What's amazing, I mean, we talk about, well, conception and then everything kind of grows. Well, it's a lot more involved than that. At conception, you weren't like a teeny, 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 tiny person that was called a homunculus. That's what they used to think, is that, at that there was a teeny, teeny, tiny, fully developed person, but just teeny, tiny. Now we know that it's one cell from mom, one cell from dad, and then you have conception. And all of the cells have the same DNA and same genetics. And we think, oh yeah, and then it's two cells, four cells, six, eight, 16, 32, 64, and then it, the, the body just happens. Now... How do cells that all have the same gene, same DNA, you have one cell divides into two cells. And this cell says, all right, from here on, I'm going to start the entire circulatory system. And this one says, fine, you do the circulatory system. I'm going to start the whole skeletal system. And they divide again. It's like, all right, you do bones, I'll do muscles. Okay, fine. You do brain, I'll do nerves. It's called cell differentiation. They all have the exact same blueprints, but all of a sudden it's like one says, all right, I'll handle all the plumbing. The other one says, I'll handle all the electrical. The other says, I'll handle the roofing and the structural stuff. We don't understand how that happens. We know it happens, but if you ask somebody how it happens, no scientist can tell you. How do they have the same blueprints, but they know what parts to have? So we are in our inmost beings in our mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5, does God have a relationship with us while we're in the inside? Well, we just sang about, from my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Look at this. God's talking to Jeremiah. He goes, Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I set you apart, and I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. God's like, Jeremiah, it's good. I knew you in the womb. I knew you were going to be a prophet for me. And this is just all part of my plan. So was he created in the image of God when he was born? No, God had a relationship with Jeremiah while he was still on the inside. What does everybody want when they get pregnant? Do they want the blood test? You know, the eight tubes of blood? 
No, they don't want those. Everybody wants an ultrasound. Next slide. In fact, you can go to my office or you can go over into Milton and you can go to Pace and you can go to Peekaboo. Starting at $30, you can see your baby. If you have a Groupon, it's $25 to see your baby on the inside. You know, know, we have one over in Pensacola too called Show Me. But we don't just do ultrasounds, which are pretty cool. This is actually, if this will work, this is my daughter, Sydney. It was dark in there that day, wasn't it, Sydney? (laughs) Okay, we'll go with an MRI. This is a different kid. Let's see, is that going to work? No worries. You know, um, when it comes to imaging, is that going to kick? All right, no worries. But we're not only doing ultrasounds, we're doing MRIs. Here we go. This is a kid in the womb, and I've had mom say, this kid is dancing on my cervix. And this kid is in coach, wanted first class, wanted to get an upgrade. There was no upgrade. So this kid wants to stand up. And this is a kid struggling. You can see the personality, and look, one, two, three. (laughs) So now, when I have a mom come in, and she says, boy, this kid is just dancing on my cervix. I said, sweetheart, I know what you're talking about. I've seen it, you know. Yet a kid like that, Life could be taken up in, any, uh, up in New York State, and they don't see that as a person. You could see that personality, that person struggling to stand up. That's no different from a newborn just trying to express themselves and stretch out after they're born. Next slide. Anybody here like FSU? Got any FSU fans in here? All right, we got a few. You ever been to a game? Yeah? All right. 75,000 pack that packed the stadium over there in Tallahassee. Each year in Florida, how many abortions? Go ahead and hit it. Packed out stadium, 75,000 people. Everybody's doing this, except for the Gators who are visiting. So go ahead, next slide. 76,000 abortions. 75,000 in a packed out stadium over there in Tallahassee for an FSU game. 76,000 abortions. That's not since the foundation of Florida. That's year after year after year year. If there was a terrorist attack and everybody in, the, in uh, the stadium was killed, do you think we'd have some changes go on in the world? Yeah. But 76,000 year after year. We can go forward. Thomas Jefferson said, the care of human life and not its destruction is the first and only legitimate object of good government. Pensacola Beach. Turtle season's coming. You'll have the sea turtles coming up on the beach about May this year. And, you know, people will, you know, they have the volunteers that will go up and down the beach, you know, at night looking to see where the new turtle nests are. And they'll stake them out. They'll put up warning signs like this. And it says, do not, whoop. It says, do not disturb sea turtle nest. Violators are subject to fines and imprisonment. You can be fined $100,000 and you can spend five years in jail for disturbing a sea turtle nest. Unborn sea turtles. Where's the protection for unborn babies? They're on the inside of the womb. And if you look, there's Florida state law. There's also federal law, the U.S. Endangered Species Act. You probably can't read that up in the front. U.S. Endangered Species Act, what's the year? 1973. So the same year that we said, the U.S. Supreme Court said, you know what? You can take the lives of babies on the inside of the womb. It's okay. Is the same year that the Endangered Species Act said, but if you touch and harm an unborn sea turtle buried in the sand and abandoned by its mother, we're going to fine you and we're going to lock you up in jail. Makes no sense whatsoever. Horton Hears a Who. Famous line from Horton Hears a Who is... A person's a person, no matter how small. I've kind of modified that to a 
patience a person, no matter how small. And if they are a patient, they are a person. If they are a person, they deserve our protection. Pastors, priests, and rabbis, y'all are blessed because there are a lot of pastors, there are a lot of priests, and there are a lot of rabbis who won't even touch this issue. You know, it takes a bold pastor to say, no, is this a tough subject? Yeah, it's a tough subject. But our congregation needs to know not only that it's a sin, but even though it is a vile sin, it is still a sin that can be covered by the blood of Jesus. Plus, it's a sin that has affected men and women in the church. And if you want to have healing, you've got to have forgiveness. And the only way to have forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus. But what does it say in Ephesians? You know, Paul is writing the church of Ephesus, and Paul is saying, with all prayer and supplication, pray at every opportunity in the Spirit. And what's Paul asking for? So that I, Paul, might have courage to speak as I must. Paul! Paul would show up at a city. He would be talking about Jesus. He'd get beat up. He'd get stoned within a, you know, an inch of his life. And then he'd go on to the next city and do that all over again. And here Paul is saying, could you all pray for me to have the courage to speak as I must? You've already got a pastor who has that courage to speak as he must. And he's handling the difficult issues. He's making a stand. And he's saying, you know, the values that were in Scripture from thousands of years ago, just because society is changing doesn't change the values. What was wrong then is wrong now. What was good then is good now. Oop, I'm going to fall off that. I bet you've almost done that before too. Acts. And what's God telling us when it comes to making a stand? Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. God's saying, because I'm going to be with you. So when you're with your friends, you're with your classmates, you're with your colleagues, you're having Thanksgiving dinner with your family and this subject comes up, be bold and God's saying, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to give you the words. Here's a little scene from The Patriot. Reverend? A shepherd must tend his flock. And at times, bite off the wolves. Yes, a pastor's duty is to meet the needs of the church and to meet the individual needs. And that's being a pastor, and that's tending the sheep. But you know what the pastor's role and those that are in supporting him? Sometimes there's some wolves in the neighborhood, and you've got to go fight those wolves. Abortion is clearly a wolf that's in the area. We don't have an abortion clinic right here for the last 11 months in Pensacola because other pastors and other individuals, there's a group that I work with called Micah 6-8. We meet every Friday morning at the Drowsy Poet over by Pensacola Christian just dealing with this issue, prayer. Bible study, and each year we do a fundraiser for one of the, for Safe Harbor Pregnancy Center. This year we raised over $6,000 for pregnancy centers in order for them to provide that. So we have a duty to fight off those wolves. Romans 5, 8, but God commend, uh, demonstrated his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about y'all, but I'm a sinner. I know y'all are really good, but I'm a sinner. You know. So who did God send? He sent his son to die for who? Sinners. Next slide. So Christ came for sinners, but look what the psalmist says. Surely I was sinful from birth. I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me, says the NIV. So if we weren't just starting our sin nature when we were born, we were sinners from the moment we were conceived. So if we were sinners from the moment we were conceived, therefore Christ died for the preborn. So if God would send his son to live a perfect life, die on the cross, conquer death, rise again for our sins, if God would see enough value to do that for the preborn, well, then do the preborn deserve our protection and our defense as well? Yeah, they sure do. Forgiveness is available 
to all. You know, I had a, I was speaking at a church, and a guy came up to me afterwards, and he said, Dr. Lyle, he says, I'm saved. He said, uh, I've been going to, going to church for decades. And he says, but he said, uh, I got to tell you a story. He said, uh, back when my daughter was 17, she came to me and she said, Daddy, I'm pregnant. And he didn't know about pregnancy centers. He didn't know who to turn to in his church. And he goes, well, I'm, I'm, well I want to be the support of Dad. What do you want to do? And she goes, Daddy, I'm, I just got accepted to college. I can't have a baby now. So he took her. He drove her to the abortion clinic. He not only signed the consent form because she was underage, he wrote a check for the services. They got an ultrasound done, and for a little moment, he saw a flicker of his first grandchild. His daughter then disappeared for about 45 minutes and came back, and that life was no longer there. He said, you know, not only was that my first grandchild, but he says, to this day, that was my only grandchild. He said, I signed the consent. He said, I wrote the check. And he said, why have I spent 20 years in church with that horrible, dirty feeling in his heart. He says, how come I never heard from the pulpit that abortion's a sin, but that it can be forgiven? He said, for the first time, I said, I silently prayed. He said, I didn't jump up and tell my story. But he said, I silently prayed. And I said, dear God, I was wrong. You know, God doesn't expect perfection in our lives, but he does expect a new direction in our lives. And we need to hear that message. That's what the message of the gospel is about. That's what the church is about. That's what this is all about, is learning that we are sinners, we are saved by grace, and every sin, including the sin of abortion, can be covered by the blood of Jesus. Philippians 3.13, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. When you feel guilty about things you've done before in your past, that is just a tool of Satan trying to just break your relationship with Jesus. Forget about those things in your past. They are covered, and now it's time to have a new direction. Don't let the devil, you know, remind you of things that you've done in the past. They're forgiven. It's time to move on. Next slide. Must we win? Well, let's see. What was the greatest nation ever established by God? The nation of Israel. What was the greatest nation ever established by man? I would say it would be the United States. But look what it says in Judges. You know, the Jews were God's chosen people. He established that nation. He obviously had a profound love for the nation of Israel. But look what this says. And these children... The nation of Israel, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot that the Lord their God had served and served Balaam. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he gave them into the hand of the king of Mesopotamia for eight years. He didn't just take his protection away. He goes, uh-uh, y'all are doing evil. My, you're my chosen people, but you're doing evil in my sight. I'm going to give you to this, to your enemy. Next slide. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. And they went into captivity for another eight years. That's still the same chapter. Yeah, that was the beginning of chapter 3 and then the end of chapter 3. And they didn't learn their lesson. And then look what it says in chapter 6. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered, actively delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. You know, his chosen people, the people that he loved, and they did evil in his sight, and he delivered them into the enemy. Eight years, 18 years, 17 years. And we think, well, the United States is always going to be safe. The United States is going to be protected. God loves us. He loved his Jewish people, too. They were his chosen people and still are his chosen people, yet they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Is what we're doing in the United States evil in the sight of the Lord? Yeah. 
And, you know, when, you know, I did a four minute video the day after the New York governor and the and the uh, the senators and the House passed that law saying we celebrate because we can do an abortion all the way up to the due date. This is just the greatest thing. Hugs, high fives, clapping, smiling. You know, is that evil in the sight of the Lord? Yeah, it, it, it sure is. And I think it was that attitude that got me, you know, really fired up. And I just made a little four-minute video. In about 10 days, we had 4 million views on that little video. So is there hope? Yeah, I think that people are saying, oh, come on. We are doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And, of course, that would be the United States. The New York Reproductive Health Act not only did it allow for an abortion at any point during the pregnancy, but it also, remember it used to be that if a woman was assaulted and her baby was died in that assault, he could be charged with murder, no longer in the state of New York. In fact, they've already had their first case. Mom was assaulted, the baby that she wanted to keep died, and they can't charge that person with murder. They can only charge that person with an assault because they don't recognize the value of the person on the inside. In the Live Birth Protection Act, you know, when you look at what are we doing in order to please God, the Live Birth Protection Act was, I mean, this should be a no-brainer. Somebody's trying to do a third trimester abortion, and the baby survives that because it's strong enough, and the baby is struggling to breathe, and it's, it's got a heartbeat, and it's screaming. Do the people have an obligation to protect that baby, the medical staff? Well, that's what this act was supposed to say, and that's been shot down six times in the House, twice in the Senate then. Even when a baby is able to, be, to survive on the outside, there's no obligation for the medical staff to provide the support for that baby. So is there still hope? Yeah, we've got to hold out for hope. You know, John Quincy Adams says, duty is ours, results are God's. So we have a duty to be faithful. We have a duty to stand up for the preborn, a duty to protect them, but results are going to be up to God. You know, that was the video that we had posted. You might have even seen it. But even on that day, there were three and a half million views of that video on just that one channel, Weekend End Abortion. Next slide. Can we win? You go outside, the fog clears tonight. I want you to look up at the sky. You know, and you'll see all those stars. It's really pretty amazing. And then you think, wow, look at all those stars. There's 250 billion stars just in our galaxy and between 250 and 300 billion, billion galaxies that are out there. You know, we sent that New Horizons probe. It was that satellite that went all the way out to Pluto. It took it nine and a half years to get to Pluto. Take a couple pictures of that planet as it went zipping on by. Well, what do we do with that probe now? It spent nine and a half years getting out to Pluto and it just left the solar system. Well, it left the solar system. What's next? Let's go to a star. Cool. Let's change its direction. Let's go to a star. Nine and a half years to get to Pluto. You know how long it would take to get to our closest star, Alpha Centauri? 54,000 years to get to our closest star. 250 billion stars just in our galaxy and 200 to 300 billion galaxies that are out there. You're like, my goodness, 54,000 years to get to star number one? That gives you an idea of distance. But let's talk about time. You know, time is related. We throw around the term eternity. Yes, we'll be with Jesus in eternity. Well, eternity is kind of like distance when you think about how far and how huge the universe is. So can we win? Well, the God who created all of that and God created the, We always read through that verse. And God created the heavens and the earth. He created a heck of a lot. And just with his words, but the God who created all these billions of stars and billions of galaxies, he's heard our individual prayers here today. You know, he'll hear your prayers tonight. He sent his son to die for you. And we wonder, can we win this battle? Yeah, we can definitely win this battle with God on our side. Look at this. Well, let's come back one. That's Jupiter. 
That's the earth. Next slide. That's our sun. That's the earth. Global warming. This is a huge fusion nuclear power plant. Do you think it's my wife's SUV? No. It gets hot. And that's the earth. But the God who created that is hearing our prayers, and he sent his son to die for us. Next slide. Kingdom service. So we're going to spend eternity with Jesus, if you know him. And guess what? Here's free medical advice. Someday, not today maybe, y'all are going to die. We're all going to die. And then if you know Jesus and you go before him, of course you're going to get down on your knees and like, I am here with my Lord for all eternity. And then we're going to think about how much time and what we did for kingdom service while we are here for maybe 60, 70, 80 years here on earth. And yet we're here for all eternity with Jesus. And we're going to look back. We might look back at today. You know, we might look back at the message. We might look back at the opportunities to do kingdom service where they're not just protecting the lives of the pre-born with the pregnancy centers. They're sharing the gospel with them on a daily basis. They're also talking about forgiveness for people who've already made mistakes before in their past. And we're going to think, did I just get saved and then kind of just cruise through for my 60, 70, or 80 years? Did I just kind of go to church, hang out, listen to Jeff? Or how involved and how engaged was I when it came to kingdom service while I was here on earth. And what do we, what's our goal? Our goal for all of us is while we're on our knees, on our knees and we're saying to Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What do we want? We want to, we'll be looking back at what we did for kingdom service. And what a joy to just have Jesus look at us and say, hey, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Thank you for serving my kingdom. And that is the goal of the church. Share the gospel. Do what's right. Defend the unborn. Talk about forgiveness and protect those lives so that we can all serve his kingdom together. I think that was my tune that I'm I'm done. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I brought some of the DVDs with us. You know, they're only $10. We go through a lot of the facts as far as surgery and demonstrations. We've got those. I'll stay as long as you want. I think we've got lunch. But it's an honor and a privilege for me to come here just to share my heart, show what we're trying to do, let you know what the real threats are against this nation and how, you know, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. We're doing evil. And it's time for us to be engaged as the church, not just be here within the church, but to spread that word throughout the church. So God bless you all. Thank you for the opportunity. And you all have a blessed day. I just want to make sure you knew what we were talking about here. Hey, you want to talk? I'm pretty awesome, aren't I? That's what you need to say about yourself. You're a star. <laughs> so, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. How many of these is, is worth all of the effort and time you might spend in protecting the unborn. How many, how many children is worth it? Every single one. Let's suppose we worked a thousand hours and only one baby got life. Which one of those hours would have been a waste? Hey, you're active today, aren't you? 
Because you're with Uncle Jeff. I know, I know. This is actually my neighbor. Dr. Lyle, thank you. Um, that's what we're talking about. So you might say, well, what can you do? The first thing you need to do, and I need to do, is understand what we're talking about. It's not just a blob. It's not just cells. It's a, it's a life. And so you and your heart... We need to be convinced that this is worth fighting for. You know, I, I, it was funny you mentioned William, that, 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 that that's what that name meant, protector. Because when I heard over here that you were had some Irish or Scottish, and I was actually thinking William Wallace. And you know the movie where he rides and, hold the wall, right? You know, I mean, that's, that's what I was thinking. You know, as believers... We're being pelted every single day by the crowd that says, "Just it's a new day, it's new times, culture's changed, we're different, we should have evolved. And folks, what I want to say to you is hold the line. Because the moment you let that line break, somebody's life is at stake. Not only that, I can promise you the church is going to be in a battle like, you, like you've never seen before in the coming days. The Bible tells us that in the end of time, that's what's going to happen, right? And if the church gives up the line, the line of truth, not something we've created, something God created. He, he did this... Thousands of years ago, he said, look, this is what I love. This is what I value. If we shrink back from the very basic values of the heart of God, God, help us. So what can you do? You can believe in what God says is right. And that is every baby is precious doesn't matter what color they are it doesn't matter the circumstances they will be born into what matters is that God put two chromosomes together or however the heck that works and he said this is my child in your worship guide since you believe that life is valuable there's a clinic called life options clinic it's in Milton. I spent a day, I went there twice in the last two weeks. One, I went by myself just to find out what it is they do. They do pregnancy tests, they do ultrasounds, they refer for medical care, they're an advocate for pregnant women and families. They do post-abortion support, guidance, counseling, they're encouraging for both men and women. They're all about life. That's why it's life options. They do life skill classes, they have a baby store. Everything they do is for one child. Because usually the women that come into this clinic, they come in confused and not sure what they're going to do. And this is that one shot 
to help, help them to see that that little baby is, is worth keeping. So on the inside, you can find out that there are some things you can do to help. You can volunteer. They need all kinds of different volunteers. I won't read it for you. It's right there. Money is always a help. You know, their whole budget for the year, it's either one hundred dollars or $160,000 for the entire year. How many babies do you think are saved through that? I, I don't know what their stats are, but I know that um, when Shannon used to work at the Pregnancy Center in Pensacola, there were actually names of children that we, we know that they came into the center thinking one way and they left the center committed to keeping their baby and I think there's at least a dozen names that I counted so that's a way that you can get involved but the biggest thing you can do is pray you know we say that but that's true this is not a physical war this is a spiritual war and it's the lot it's for the soul of our nation and it's for the soul of the church this does matter to God so here's what I want to do in just a moment we're going to stand and sing and we're going to have a time of decision and commitment I want to ask you to commit to asking God what do you want me to do in this fight it might be a small part it might be you know Bill you didn't have any idea that you'd be walking up those stairs into a whole nother life of it's changed your life though hasn't it you have no idea, maybe. But would you at least be willing to ask? The second thing is, if you're here today and you have, have been touched personally by abortion, either as a father uh, of a child whose life was taken, maybe, maybe you're a woman who went through the procedure. Look, I hope you've heard here today that we're, we're not in any way condemning or judging. We're simply saying God's grace is greater than anything that we could ever possibly do. And I want you to experience God's grace this morning. Whether you're, no matter what part of that you might have been, been part of. Now, don't just believe me. Look at the scripture. All throughout scripture, men and women have fallen on their faces before God and said, God, forgive me. And it's the same story every time. God says, I forgive you because I love you. So this morning as we sing in just a moment, I'm going to ask you if you've dealt with this in some way to simply cry out to God. Say, God, I'm asking you for forgiveness and you will let God forgive you. Because here's the deal. The devil will not want you to forgive yourself because he wants you to live judged and condemned and broken the rest of your life. But he wants you to find, God wants you to find freedom this morning. It's like chains falling off. And then this morning, finally, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. I want you to invite, invite you to say to God, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I am separated from you because of my sin. But I trust Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed so that my sin can be forgiven. So will you stand to your feet? And as we take a few moments, we're just going to sing through this song, either right where you are, or you can come up and speak with one of the pastors up here. You simply do something as God leads you.
find out more about Swordmore Church at